Welcome everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. We've got a great class coming up for you tonight. We're going to be talking about government conspiracies, and there is absolutely no way we can get into all of them. Uh, but we do this every once in a while when we were beyond the shadows, when we were uh, you know, inside the upside down, we've done it occasionally on edge of the rabbit hole where we've just taken an episode and you know, dove into different government conspiracy theories. Do that maybe, you know, once, possibly twice a year. So we've done it a handful of times over the last couple of years. There's just way too much to get into, uh, but there are a lot of different conspiracy theories out there about a variety of different subjects. And yeah, there's uh, Victoria down there in the chat. What about Facebook conspiracies? And I just commented a moment ago about, yeah, um, you know, it's no longer Facebook, now it's Meta, although somebody already has a copyright to Meta, so it's not going to be as cut and dry as uh, they are hoping. And, you know, I don't know, because, like, in the, when I'm messaging somebody, and we're talking about social media and what have you, uh, I'm, it's very easy for me to just put, like, FB, you know, in the comment, or when, you know, Nicole and I are chatting back and forth about something with social media, you know, it's, FB in the comments. Now I have to write out the word meta. I mean, that's more letters, I mean, two more, but it's still, it's more letters. I'm also kind of curious as, as far as the stock because it's publicly trading as Facebook. So what then happens? Do they switch up? I have no, I see, I have no idea about the SAC filings or anything like that if they're going to switch that up from Facebook to meta on the stock exchange. So, And uh, there's Nicole, yeah. Uh, meta is so meta. <laughs> and uh there's bill prack good to see you in the house bill all right uh yeah and uh, nicole wait 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 there are any conspiracies on facebook everything on facebook is 100 percent unquestionable fact right yeah yeah and so that's why they censor memes on facebook <laughs> um we, yeah that's a conspiracy in and of itself right um we will briefly touch on that this evening i won't dive too deep into it because of the fact it, it it is an issue you know there are certain things that um i i can't talk about this evening because of the fact that if i do they will take it down they'll take it down off of facebook i mean this is we broadcast live out of a facebook group um so they could take it down if i talk about certain topics in a certain way or even if i just mention the word it'll get flagged uh and you know there'll be a nice big banner put you know across it you know get your information from the authority you know that sort of thing so you know it's it's really kind of scary you know that i have to kind of tiptoe around certain subjects i mean it's a bit different last night when i was talking uh with with jimmy church on fade to black and we were getting into my my time at nsa we're going to talk about that a little bit here too uh my time at nsa and you know there were you know government secrets top secret stuff that i was involved with and you know could not of course talk about on on jimmy's show and as we were kind of going down that rabbit hole a little bit you know i told him i you know, I can only go so far here or I'm going to have, you know, guys at my front door in three minutes. And he was like, no, 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 I completely understand because on his end too, being a, uh, uh, the media in a, in a radio station, he's like, they'll be at my front door too and shutting me down. So, you know, we are very cognizant of those sorts of things. So, um, all right. So let's get into the, uh, different, uh, uh, questions that you guys had our class question for this evening and that was which conspiracy theory would you like the answer to once and for all once and for all let's just get it out in the open you know what what's the conspiracy theory so victoria had quite a few so uh, she started with reverse engineering just admit it it's from aliens uh yeah, I do believe that there are certain technologies that we have today that we have acquired from extraterrestrial uh, beings that, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's extraterrestrial or possibly uh, ourselves from another point in time. And 
And I'll be talking with him this weekend, Grant Cameron. And he related an interesting story in one of his presentations. And I've started talking about this in my presentations now, where uh, he was relating a story from the Book of American Cosmic by Diana Posolka. And she has an interesting story in that book. She calls the guy Tim. And he worked for the uh, the space shuttle program, but you know before it shut down, there was a particular. You know, they they go canvassing. Okay, what experiments do we want to to run, you know, up there in in orbit? And so he had a certain uh, anti gravity experiment that he wanted to run, and he was initially shot by shot down by the the general that was uh, running the program at the time. But he was able to squeeze it in through a guy that had you know whatever credentials you needed for running this experiment. The experiment was successful. Uh, it was expected to not be successful, but it was. When it came back that this uh, that this test was successful, and of course the general caught wind of it, and he called a meeting, okay, whose idea was it for this experiment? And everybody's pointing at this Tim guy. The general was actually pretty ticked off, uh, and, he's, and even though it was successful, he's like, where did you get this information? to run this test. Uh, it was almost like, yeah, we already knew this was gonna work. Where did you come up with the idea? And the and the guy, Tim, quote unquote, Tim said, uh, well, I actually got it from a memory. And yeah, it, that answer did not set well, but he stuck to his guns and said, I got it from a memory. Grant tracks this guy down, has a cup of coffee with him, has a conversation, says, okay, I'm not buying this whole you got it from a memory thing. Where did you get this idea? And the guy tells him, well, actually, there's one night I woke up and standing at the end of my bed was this dark, shadowy, hooded figure that gave me the idea. So, you know, I hear the story and of course, you know, you know hooded shadow figures, I'm kind of like the, the shadow figure guy. And that's where my mind immediately goes to. Um, but, you know, another idea is that it was some sort of extraterrestrial intelligence that was passing along this information uh, that humanity needed to to run these different tests. You know, or was it us from a, another point in time? Um, you know, very, very interesting. So, you know, in that sense, yes, we are getting technology uh, from extraterrestrials or aliens or even ourselves from another point in time. Like I said, Victoria had a few here. Uh, medical testing on humans, germ warfare, citizens didn't know, etc. There's been a lot of that over the years. Unfortunately, you know, even like nuclear testing, um, you know, that has certainly happened where you know, we dropped the uh, the GIs off at ground zero and, you know, let them run for cover to test the effects of nuclear radiation. If we dropped a, a combat team into a zone in which... Uh, we were going to nuke. And so you know, that sort of stuff is scary. You know, also, you, you know, the uh, MK Ultra um, experiments, so testing LSD on uh, civilians and seeing the effects on them. You know, very, very scary stuff. Um, also, and, and I'm not going to get too deep into this tonight because it's like I almost can't now. Um, but check out the book by Jim Mars, Population Control. Uh, it is, it's an interesting read because he gets a, into a lot of topics. The, um, the book was written, I want to say it was early 20-teens. It was, probably, it was probably written about 10 years ago. We're in 2021 right now. So it was like nine, 10 years ago that the book was out. Um, maybe, it was, maybe it was eight years. But in any case, check it out because a lot of the things that he's talking about are coming to fruition now. And I find it really interesting that with Jim Mars, now he wrote a, a, a number of different conspiracy theory books. He's actually the guy, uh, the the movie JFK with, with Kevin Costner, that movie was based on a lot of the work that Jim Mars uh, had put together. So this is, you know, a pretty prolific guy. And uh, he he passed away just after his book on the Illuminati was published. So if that isn't creepy and, and, and crazy, I don't know what is. So check that out, Population Control, Jim Mars. 
and then Victoria also asks, what's the truth with dumbs? This is um, <laughs> deep underground military bases. And so, uh, yeah, Victoria, hollow earth, right? Right, hollow earth? <laughs> Um, really, it's you know, it, it's actually um, a, a pretty significant endeavor by the by the U.S. military. So there are several several sites uh, around the country, around the world, where we have very deep, elaborate bases. Um, you just you know, and everybody knows about NORAD. I mean, that's in a mountain, but you basically take that idea and you know, put it under the ground rather than in the mountain. We have many of these uh, around the nation. Uh, the the NSA site that Edward Snowden worked at, uh, you know, is an underground base in Utah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, I never visited that. I was at the NSA headquarters. But, uh, yeah, there are several of these around the nation. And, you know, basically they're, sure, they're running experiments down there. Uh, there's a lot of uh, intelligence that is that is operated out of there. You have to kind of think, um, you know, if we are going to secure things, given the way wireless technology works these days, uh, you know, radio waves, all of that, it is a lot harder to penetrate into the ground if you go, you know, several, several hundred feet, thousands of feet sometimes under the ground. Uh, so uh, enemy technology would have a harder time penetrating deep, deep underground like that. Also, for survival, if we were to you know get into some sort of nuclear catastrophe, these are you know wonderful fallout shelters uh, because they're they're not going to be uh, affected that far under the ground. So you guys have a lot of comments filtering in here. That was just that was just Victoria stuff. Uh, so let me uh, grab your uh, comments here. Sarah Youssef is talking about uh, GMOs. We could talk about that as well. As well, Monsanto. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's pretty it's pretty scary what they're actually putting into our food. Um, yeah, so we could talk about that. Go ahead and uh, throw questions down there in the chat. We're going to talk about a number of different things, and I'll address as many as I can uh, when we get into this type of topic. I know people have a lot of questions and concerns, and legitimately you should. So uh, Victoria and Bill Prack uh, are curious about the about aliens, the alien agenda, that sort of thing. I mean, that opens up a whole can of worms. We've done episodes before uh, on extraterrestrials. I do prefer the word extraterrestrials uh, than aliens, but um, sure, they're they're definitely hiding things uh, from us. I did a uh, whole episode on the the issue of disclosure. And I, I did include, um, I've shown it here before, let me uh, toss it up here, the UAP document from earlier this year uh, in June, basically the document that said nothing, the preliminary assessment, unidentified aerial phenomena, uh, which basically said that, well, there are unusual things happening in the sky, uh, we don't have any answers for you. You know, nine pages to say that. Uh, which was really a shame because this was a document that uh, people were really looking forward to. They were hoping that the government was finally going to admit something. And all they really admitted to, because there's no way, there's finally like no way to get out of it when some of these different videos were released, like the Tic Tac video and the Gimbal video and all that. There's no way to deny that there was something going on there. But basically, they're just pleading the fifth that, you know, it's, we, we can't explain it. We don't know what it is. You've seen the video. We don't know what to tell you. And that's it. Uh, it's, it's at least better than like Project Blue book days when they denied, 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 denied everything. Uh, the thing that I found very interesting about that, um, about that document is it's really only, only covers the last 20 years. They don't recognize anything from the earlier research. They don't recognize anything from the Blue Book days. Now, with Project Blue Book, you're talking about uh, over 10,000 cases that were uh, handed over to over to Blue Book, and there are still 701 cases that 
you know, have, that have never had an answer applied to them. So there's still 701 open cases out there from the Blue Book days. And uh, all this document would cover was, you know, a handful from the last 20 years. So, and, and the other thing that I find really uh, odd and perplexing about it is they act like this is something new. Like, you know, there only have been sightings over the last 20 years. And it's like, why in the world are you completely ignoring, you know, at least 50 more years of our history? You know, up to you know sixty years. And really, this this activity has been going on for a long, long time. Prior to that, I mean, people think of Roswell, nineteen forty-seven. There were a couple of incidents before Roswell that were kind of uh, like preludes to it. But even before then, there were other things that happened. You know, the Foo Fighters during World War II, and you know, we could get into ancient alien stuff and, and things like that. But you know, when I was doing research for my book, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma, there was a report from the nineteen twenties from uh, I was doing research on hauntings at an amusement park, and I was finding reports of what they called twinklers uh, up in the sky uh, that they were witnessing from this amusement park very late at night. And uh, so it's like, it, okay, here's a UFO sighting from like 1924. Um, you know, so this has been going on for a long, long time. They totally disregarded any of that with this, uh, with this newer report. Bill also asked about giants. Um, and Sarah Jane commented, uh, piggybacked on that uh, comment in the, uh, uh, that was on the uh, Connected Universe group. Uh, she said, giants are Nephilim, fascinating creatures, right? Yeah, giants, um, you know, they, they did exist. Uh, you know, we do find it, the evidence right now, the physical evidence is scant, unfortunately, because so much of it's been hidden. You know, we're starting to see some of it with the, uh, uh, with the Denisovans. And in my book, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, I actually get into that a little bit because of, um, you know, a, a lot of the Denisovans came over from Siberia. You actually see some uh, remnants of them in Tibet, only a handful, but for a period of time you had the the Bering Land Bridge. Now I know that um, that the human history within North America has its origins uh, long prior to the whole Bering Land Bridge, but there were peoples. There, that is an absolute fact. When that land bridge, that land bridge existed, there were peoples that did migrate across that bridge into Alaska, and they were basically blocked off by some of the different ice sheets. But some of those would have been these larger humanoid people, like the the Denisovans. You, uh, when you study Inuit culture, you find a lot of these stories of the giants and they are extremely similar to the nephilim stories where uh you know the uh you know like the watchers from from the nef or from the biblical stories you know getting with the uh with the women begatting the women and then uh giving birth to the nephilim and, and giving birth to the giants you actually see some of those same stories in the inuit culture it's like how in the world did that same story get into their culture if they were supposed to have been separated and had uh you know no connection to each other until like the white man suddenly came into the area you know there's there is a much deeper uh connection that goes long into our ancient history and we will talk about um you know the some of the government interference with our with our ancient history as well this evening i know we're already 20 minutes into the show and i'm still just getting to hear your questions but they've been great um robin perkins who is not a part of the connected uh universe but uh, decided to comment on there anyway um she was asking where jfk marilyn monroe or were jfk and marilyn monroe birth, both assassinated by the united states government for their knowledge about ufos and wanting to release it to the public uh, you know that's a um, you know that's a possibility that is is out there. I mentioned Jim Mars earlier uh, in his work with uh, the JFK assassination. I'm not going to get too deep into that this evening. I covered JFK, Marilyn Monroe. I think. Uh, uh, probably a good four years ago. So I'm not too up to snuff on all of that. So we'll get into uh, you know some other things in this in this conversation. Like I said, we're already 20 minutes in. Uh, so let's let's get on. But Sarah Jane did comment down in there that she wants to know who put the bump in the bump she bump. That's I mean that's a very very pressing topic there. So all right, let's take a look at your comments first, and then we'll get into some of the different things that I had on tap. 
Um, what do you guys have? I got to scroll down here a little bit. You guys have a boatload of comments. Uh, all right. So uh, this, I like Tom. Tom McNicholas thinks that all insects are aliens. You know what? I, I Honestly, Tom, all life on this planet are aliens. Uh, I, I do believe. Well, because our planet has, this is not our first go around. Uh, there is actually physical evidence that our solar system was derived from a previous solar system. It lived, it died, it went through its whole cycle, and then we have come out of the ashes of that and have reformed. So everything, all the life that's on this planet has actually come from the stars. We're all made of stardust. So... um in, uh, comment here from Sarah Yusuf. Watchers have similar genetic makeup to crossbreed with uh, human women. They at least have enough genetic, similar genetic makeup that they were able to breed and spawn children that became giants. Yes. Um, so we'll actually have to take some blood samples and get to the bottom of that. So as soon as we get like a watcher, a Nephilim, and um, well, we have plenty of uh, human DNA, uh, we'll get on that. <laughs> and yes, uh, Nicole, this was pretty funny earlier today when we were on a walk. She said, I blew my cover earlier today. I admitted to Mike Denham an enormous 411 Nephilim. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I had to like do a double take there. All right. In uh, Victoria Monday, let's not forget that there was an alien that was buried up in North Texas. The government came and stole his body one night. I think his name was Ned. <laughs> You know, there are reports, though, of, um, and, you know, the the show Project Blue Book, even though it was, you know, heavily dramatized, did touch on the fact that, um, or at least I guess the speculation, because we don't truly know it's fact, do we, that uh, some of the uh, extraterrestrials that have crashed here that uh, were recovered, experimented on, uh, have actually been uh, buried out there as well. So... Um, and here's another one. Why is the moon hollow? I don't know why, but it is a fact that it does ring like a bell. So when the uh, moon lander uh, back in the uh, 60s and early 70s, when it crashed into the moon or basically landed on the moon, uh, you know, they did some seismic testing and the, the moon rang like a bell for extended periods of time. Some people believe that the moon is an actual former alien base or may even be a spaceship itself. I don't necessarily adhere to that theory. I think it's one of those where, um, you know, there are large pockets of space within it. It would take basically drilling down into it and, and discovering more about the moon to know what exactly that is. But given the size of the moon and uh, scientists expecting it to be solid, they estimated a mass for it. And with the resonance that they got off of the moon, it did not adhere to the mass calculations that they had originally done. Like I said, it rang like a bell. So there are uh, parts of the moon that are that are certainly hollow. There you go. If if you're not on hollow earth, you can at least get on hollow moon. All right. So let's get into some of these different things here. Uh, what do I have on tap? Well, the whole reason why I started getting into this topic this evening, because again, when was the last time I did, uh, you know, conspiracy theories with the government? We covered UFOs uh, earlier in the summer. You could consider that a, a, a conspiracy theory. I just, I think it's fact. Uh, with, with UFOs and, and extraterrestrials. Uh, it, it's been a couple of years. Uh, but, you know, this is another topic that we do talk about, men in black, uh, from time to time, because there is that running joke that I was once a man in black. But this documentary by Darcy Weir, Who Saw the Men in Black? It is available now, just dropped yesterday. Uh, you can find that on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's on Apple TV, Vudu, a uh, number of different places. And uh, I was featured in this. Uh, I uh, had some stories to tell about Albert K. Binder and his experiences with uh, whether it was the men in black or extraterrestrials or shadow entities. I also talked a little bit about my experience at, roll it please, NSA. Talked about that last night with Jimmy Church as well. It was um, probably the most I've spoken publicly uh, about my experiences there at NSA. 
um, you know, on, on a platform like that. But um, yeah, check out the uh, the documentary that that Darcy put together. So Richard Dolan's in it, uh, Richard Doty, John Burroughs. So uh, a lot of those who have uh, either been involved with the UFO community, have experienced Men in Black, uh, like you know, Rick Doty, who was a former OSIJ, OSI agent, has actually worked with uh, the Men in Black at times. And then, of course, there's a the question, was I a man in black? So what exactly are are these things? Uh, and I, uh, I'm just going to cover this briefly uh, to kind of you know give some some scope to the documentary that Darcy has out there because we covered men in black, basically men in black versus you know hat wearing shadow entities. I want to say about four or five months ago. So you know you can always refer back to that class for for some more of that information. Uh, but you know these are some interesting type guys that uh, many of them are just physical government agents that come from a shadowy uh, agency uh, point back to NSA uh, is it a shadowy government agency well in some ways no you know they do have a, a a job to do in securing our intelligence as a nation but there are also shadowy elements about it some of which i cannot actually talk about so uh, my job there was supporting the spies uh for for lack of a better term but basically the the agents that were um uh surveilling that were that were surveilling uh different things inside and outside our country. I guess I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, so you can listen to, to Jimmy Church's show from uh, from last night to get a little bit more uh, detail about that. Well, we've talked about it here in, in the class before. Um, so there's there's that. And when I was kind of quote-unquote man in black was when I had to go off-site to, um, uh, to basically, because I was a computer guy and I, I did you know, computer maintenance, troubleshooting, network administration, system administration, that sort of thing back then. And so if we had to go off-site to a location hidden in plain sight, I would have to dress up in the dark suit, in the tie, and all that, um, because they did not want it to be known that this location hidden in plain sight had anything to do with the government and the military and all that. Um, so that was me as the man in black. But you have other guys like this. So this is a, um, a clip from uh, Niagara Falls uh, some years back now. These two guys, now they were entering the building just after a uh, UFO sighting there. They wanted to talk to the hotel manager. They wanted to talk to the individual that had witnessed the UFO. Uh, and when the when the manager wasn't available, they basically ended up walking away. So we're not really sure what exactly happened to these guys, but you have these these two guys with the hats, in the suits, in the ties, walking in, um, and you know, they are connected somehow, some way with the UFO phenomenon. I mentioned Albert K. Bender earlier. I'm not going to you know get too detailed with the story here. Basically, he founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau in 1952, and I'm not getting too deep into the story here because we've talked about it before in class, so you can refer back to those. Uh, but basically, he had witnessed three shadowy hat-wearing entities with glowing eyes morph into his bedroom at, uh, at night and told him to stop his research into the UFO phenomenon early 1950s. Uh, and he, he listened to them. He divulged the story uh, about 10 years later, after they had left the planet. Now, he believed that they were extraterrestrials. When I hear the story, or at least when I first heard the story, uh, I believe, okay, these this, this is basically a shadow person story, you know, a paranormal, supernatural uh, shadow entity story that I've been hearing you know, from people for, for years. Uh, other people believe it's a, a men in black story because it's the whole, you have the whole idea of we want you to stop doing your, your research. Uh, so very, very uh, interesting. Some more uh, comments coming down. Uh, yeah. Sarah Jane saying, Mike, tell us honestly, did you change your name to M? Yeah, Agent M. There you go. So like J and K. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's funny. You know, you, you try to do any sort of research on the men in black, uh, like the real men in black, and you get inundated 
on the internet with all the Men in Black movies, you know, Will Smith, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, all of that, uh, to try to find images at all is challenging because you get all the movie stuff. Uh, so, so even like the artwork that I did for uh, for here, uh, I had to go to um, you know, deposit photos where I have an account and actually uh, you know, look up. And I couldn't even do Men in Black. I had to do uh, what was it? Black suits, ties, and uh, sunglasses. You know, something like that. So it's, it's kind of crazy how pop culture has uh, really inundated us with, with a lot of that type of stuff. So. Um, yeah, and uh, where's the comment? We'll have to see if Mike gets a knock on his door. Like I said with, with Jimmy last night, we did have to be careful. We could only take that conversation so far for, for both of us because uh, it's, it's, it's not just me. Yes, I would get a knock on my door, but Jimmy as well, since he's the guy that's actually interviewing and broadcasting, uh, he'd get a knock on his door also to, uh, to cease and desist. So uh, it's... It's kind of scary how there's only so much you can really talk about before the government will will drop the hammer, and there is there is some um, there is some legal structure around that. So when I first had my orientation at NSA, and I'll, I'll bring the photo back up here, so I know those listening to the podcast later cannot see the photos. Um, you know, and those listening on KGRA and KPNL syndicated shows later. So the black building in the back, you see the the shorter uh, black building there, and then the taller black building in the in the back. Those are the Reagan buildings. They're built during the Reagan administration. But the uh, second one back there, um, between those two buildings and into uh, that other one, is basically where the main entrance is I say main entrance I've rarely ever used it but visitors into NSA will go through uh, that section there and when you go through that entrance and off to the left hand side is a large conference room where they will run the orientations and so I, I distinctly remember sitting in that room for a day. I thought maybe it wasn't quite a full day, uh, but you're watching all these videos on security protocols and, and guys who in the past have uh, you know, been busted for uh, espionage or divulging uh, United States secrets, you know, charged for treason, that sort of thing, and you sign a document that you will not you know, divulge these different secrets. Now, you already have a top-secret security clearance, uh, you know, in the military, which you're not allowed to do that anyway, but there is an uh, there is additional documentation that you have to sign when uh, when you become a uh, I guess a member, for lack of a better term, of of NSA or you start working for NSA. There's additional documentation that you sign there, so I have to be really careful about what I actually say, which is difficult sometimes because you know we're talking 25 years later. You know, how much of it is really that freaking important now? Uh, but in any case, you know, there it is. All right, so let's let's move on a, a little bit more. So I do want to talk about a couple of different things that actually pertain to, um, well, the Alaska Triangle. So we're talking about government. Uh, let's get into HARP a little bit here. Yeah, we'll just jump right into to HARP. So, you know, this is the, uh, the large array that's up there in Alaska, Gakona, Alaska. And this is a highly, highly controversial radio antenna array uh, built in 1993. It's a joint program between the Air Force, Navy, and University of Alaska Fairbanks, as well as DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Uh, it operated for a little bit over 20 years, and out of nowhere in 2014, they announced that they were shutting down. Uh, a little bit less than a year later, it was completely transferred to the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Now, what's controversial about this thing is is what it does. You know, it basically shoots these radio waves out into the ionosphere, which is uh, anywhere from 30 to 600 miles above the planet. And what freaks people out is when they talk about exciting electrons in the plasma of the ionosphere. And the reason why that freaks people out 
And one of the uh, kind of quote unquote conspiracy theories about HARP is weather control. So you have, um, you know, guys like Chavez down there in Venezuela uh, accusing the United States of causing the earthquake in in Haiti um, years ago, decades ago. You know, was it able to do that? And the reason why that becomes a question is because in exciting the electrons and the plasma and all this stuff uh, in the ionosphere, HARP was able to create artificial auroras. So, you know, auroras like the Aurora Borealis in the north, the Aurora Australis in the south. Basically what that is, uh, is the protons and electrons from solar flares from the sun bouncing off the ionosphere on Earth um, and getting that effect. Now, we see it more up north because it's it's thinner up there. Our, our magnetic protection from the Earth is thinner up there. So we see more of this activity uh, happening there uh, in the ionosphere. It's one of the reasons why the Alaska Triangle is, is so supercharged. There's a lot of different reasons, uh, but that's one of them. And so where HARP is built, um, you know, a couple different things going on. Of course, like I just said, the uh, magnetic protection is a little bit thinner. So it makes it that those radio waves can be a lot more uh, interactive up there in the ionosphere. It's also being charged by the energy of the triangle area. And whether or not you believe in like, you know, the triangle phenomenon, like Bermuda Triangle, Dragon Triangle, Alaska, all of that, um, the Department of the Interior years ago uh, ran uh, a lot of different experiments and calculations and um, uh, surveys to determine the magnetic properties of the area. I mean, this was you know, total scientific, um, you know, governmental thing to go up there and measure the magnetic properties of the area. <laughs> you know, so this isn't some you know pseudoscience or whatever. Uh, you know, it is it is something that was actually done. And they determined that this was an ideal location to set up this array. You know, so they're harnessing the power of the triangle. They're shooting off these radio waves into the atmosphere. And then what comes down out of that are these uh, low frequency waves. And so uh, let me give you some quotes here as to what goes on with this. Um, this is from Todd Peterson of the Air Force Research Laboratory. So this is a quote to Live Science. He says, the radio waves travel up to the ionosphere where they excite the electrons in the plasma. These electrons then collide with atmospheric gases, which then give off light as in a neon tube. Um, you know, people have believed that this has led to uh, weather events like the, like I said, the 2011 uh, tsunami or earthquake and tsunami in Japan. Um, the, there was also the Haiti one uh, that Chavez accused everybody of. Uh, the, uh, tw the 2013 tornado in Moore, Oklahoma, uh, 2006 landslide in the Philippines. Um, and then there is the idea that these uh, these electromagnetic waves actually operate as a mind control device. So let me get you that as well. Uh, a lot of this is um, coming from Nick Begich. Now, Nick Begich was, was actually on the Alaska Triangle. I, I can't say with me, the, the show, the television show, uh, but we were each on uh, several episodes. And so if, if you recognize the name, it's because uh, his father is the congressman that went missing in 1972. It completely disappeared with, uh, with Speaker of the House Hale Boggs. But he wrote a book in 1995 called Angels Don't Play This Harp. Uh, and so he describes harp as a super powerful radio wave beaming technology that lifts areas of the ionosphere by focusing a beam and heating those areas. Electromagnetic waves then bounce back onto Earth and penetrate everything, living and dead. Um, and so he basically goes on to talk about, um, let me find the correct quote, because we're talking about very low frequency energy. Um, okay. So I want to find the right one here. Okay, it was when we talk about brain and, and 
trainment. So, okay. My quote is, this essentially creates a frequency following response, which is a prime factor in brain entrainment, where the brain recognizes an external signal and begins to lock onto it and mirror it. So, but this is from Begich in a documentary called Mind Control. It says, these ranges can be affected through what's called brain entrainment, which is an external signal, or what's called frequency following response, where the brain will recognize certain signals in a very similar way to dialing through a radio to pick up the radio signal. You get a nice clear signal when you have harmony between transmitter and receiver, or you have resonance between the receiver and the transmitter. The same is true with the human body. This is what HARP does on a hemispheric scale, because what happens is a high-frequency signal coming off the transmitter on the ground hits an area called the ionosphere, which is about 30 miles above the Earth's surface, and then what it does is they pulse that high-frequency signal. So it's like a hammer hitting the head of a nail, and every time it hits the ionosphere, it vibrates like a bell, sending back a signal to the Earth in extremely low-frequency range. This would alter behavior over a pretty wide and large geographic area. So I know that's a lot of a lot of techno garble, um, but you know, Begich is a doctor and he's uh, you know trained in in this area. So basically, what he's saying here, trying to, to cut through all of that, is that they they send the signal up into the ionosphere, um, plays around up there for a little bit, comes back as a as a low frequency signal in whatever form that they want it. So if they want us to be able to, if they want somebody to perform a certain action, think a certain thing, have a certain feeling or mood or whatever, they can send that signal back in a certain way. Can you send it up in a certain way to get a certain reaction up there and it comes back and we feel that EMF and we start reacting accordingly. It's sort of the same thing with the uh, you know with the weather. So it's very it's a very very scary thought. And this is why you know others have come forward and say, well, they're you know this is mind control activity. And when you hear some of the people that have come forward, like uh, when Jesse the Body Ventura was the governor of Minnesota, he was one that was touting this as well. And you know you hear, okay, it's, it's Jesse the Body, uh, okay. But when you start looking at who's actually um, you know, putting these ideas out there, and it's a respected doctor like like Begich, um, then it's like, okay, now that actually gets my attention. Forget all the Ventura stuff um, when it's coming from from Begich and some of these other uh, you know scientific people. That means a little bit more. So, what does that mean today if the government has backed away from something like Harp, and now it's just you know, run by the university. It's like, okay, well, it, it must not mean anything anymore. I beg to differ. So this facility was built almost 30 years ago. There's been all of this, there's been a massive spotlight put on the thing, and it's still a massive spotlight. People still talk about HARP today. Well, do you really think that in 30 years they haven't continued to actually develop the technology? I mean, the the array is sitting up there basically as a relic today. So let the university play with it. And when people have their different theories and, oh, this is going on with HARP and you know, HARP is you know this, that, or the other thing, let them go up there and take a look. All the important stuff when the military left has been taken out. The university can do their little experiments and they can play around with it a little bit. But we've acquired the knowledge of what we've needed to do. We have, because technology is always developing and expanding, we've done other things on the side. Imagine 30 years later. I mean, what were we doing 30 years ago for, for computers? I mean, we were not doing this, right? You know, you, you might have had like a, what, a 386 running um, Windows 3.1. My parents still had a Commodore computer 30 years ago, right? Um, so our technology is has come significantly further in that time. Well, same thing with the technology that they were developing there at Harp. So the technology is still out there. They're still using it. It's it's elsewhere now. You know, is it possible that we now have handheld devices that can do the same thing that that massive array was doing? If if I have what what I'm using right now for uh, a computer is like 
you know, how many hundreds of times more powerful than, you know, the, uh, the spacecraft that they shot into space, you know, back at that time or, you know, 40 years ago. Um, yeah, I think other things like HARP have come a long way too. And we could have agents out there right now with a device in their hand that just hit a button and there you go. It'll send the signal up. So I spent a little bit of time on that. See what you guys have for uh, for comments in here. This hour's been going by quick. Wow. Okay. Um, so Victoria asking, would this harmony from heart be the high-pitched ringing signal uh, be the thing we hear, I hear? So, you know, it's interesting with that. Um, and, and people will try to say, well, it's just tinnitus. I mean, we we legitimately get tinnitus where all of a sudden there's you know a ringing in the ear um but there are times that our ears will pick something up uh especially you know look around i mean victoria you have a bunch of not your cats <laughs> you have a bunch of cats in the house that you don't call your own uh so if you're hearing that ringing and the cats are reacting as well then there's something up then you then you'll know that there is a signal that is coming into your house um, that is, I, I can't tell you that it is purposely trying to affect you, but there's certainly a signal uh, in your home at that time if it's also affecting the animals. So could that be, you know, the signal from harp that's being sent down? Possibly, I can't tell you, you know, for sure. Um, but if it's also affecting the cats, and there there is that uh, possibility. Um, so Sarah, is it? It's a death. Is it a death ray? Uh, by poking holes in the ozone layer. It's not actually poking holes in the ozone layer. What it's doing is it's exciting the particles up there, the electrons. So basically, um, you know, floating up there, are all kinds of electrons, protons, and, and other matter that's up there. And what it does, that's what that signal starts doing is it gets them shaking and gets them moving. And they have, um, you know, perfected the technology that it gets them moving in a particular way to generate another type of signal from way the heck up there to be able to cast a, a wider net from there. Um, you know, and they have excused that as we're, we're running experiments on the ionosphere. Well, you know, scientifically, you know, to, to find out more about what, the, what makes the ionosphere tick. Yeah, but they've actually affected things up there. Like I said, they created an artificial aurora. Now, that wasn't poking holes. That is basically making those uh, particles you know, start to glow with a certain luminescence because they are actually emanating at, at that point a uh, certain wave that we can actually uh, see with our eyes and on the actual light spectrum. So they've uh, taken something invisible and made it visible. All right. Um, what else do you guys have down here? So, yeah, you know, the hum, the hum. And, and I understand what you mean about the hum because, you know, there are times that I do hear that at night. I'll be laying there in bed and I will hear that hum. It's like I don't have anything turned on to the dang house. You know, and it's not, you know, we, we can tell what the train is, um, you know, that, that runs by. It's, you know, miles out there and we still hear the thing you know, late at night, uh, or the plane going overhead, or or what have you, but there is that low level hum that you hear. That's just it's not natural. Um, and so, you know, is that it, or something else going on? All right. So, other things that I did want to talk about real quick. So, I did want to talk a little bit because we mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, uh, like. Antarctica. Um, there are, it, I'm not going to get into all the, the Black Pyramid stuff. Talked about that with, with Jimmy uh, at length last night. Uh, you know, that's the idea that under the, uh, under the mountains in Alaska, there is a pyramid twice the size of Giza. I don't want to dive into all that, but what, but what I want to touch on is uh, lost ancient cultures. So this here is actually, this is not the Black Pyramid, this, this photo here. This is actually a 
mountain in the Ellsworth Range in Antarctica that looks like a pyramid, certainly. Uh, we don't know exactly what it is. You know, it sure it could be a pyramid. It could be a perfect, <laughs> um, you know, a perfect pyramid off of the mountain, uh, which is hard to believe. There are also these other interesting images of walls and things like that in Antarctica. You know, were these uh, were there massive structures and cities in Antarctica? And really, there were. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was definitely life in Antarctica long, long, long ago. Um, you know, they have, uh, well, at least what they've revealed, you know, as far as, you know, animal life in Antarctica, uh, old uh, plants in Antarctica, trees in Antarctica. Uh, you know, they have found forests buried miles under the ice. It was there. Uh, so the idea that there are also these, you know, human structures there is not out of the question. Uh, you know, we've we've seen old maps. And we, we we talked about this a few weeks back. The old maps where they actually depict Antarctica that there was a land to the south, and all of a sudden the knowledge was lost at the time, and then in 1820 was suddenly kind of quote unquote rediscovered. Uh, you know, it, and then they were trying to say, oh, we discovered this landmass down there. No, you, you knew about it 500 years beforehand. Uh, somehow you guys lost the knowledge, but it was there. So, you know, people knew that there was land down there, that there was, you know, there were civilizations. And, the, and something that we talked about quite a bit last night was that the, uh, the landmasses move. You know, they, they haven't always been where they are now. And I think that's something that we kind of forget to take into consideration, that land masses move, sea, sea levels rise and fall. Um, there are, you know, cities lost under the ocean right now. Uh, you know, there are places, you know, on when I was out in White Sands, White Sands used to be, uh, you know, that was water. You know, now it's a desert. Uh, you you see all the a number of different places that used to be you know ocean beds and and today you know they're they're deserts or you know, you know rocky uh, locations and mesas and things like that. You know our our land has changed, the climate has changed. Um, you know the idea of I'm not going to get political on that, but the idea of climate change is to me is like duh, climate's been changing ever since the Earth was formed. Um, it, it's going to happen. Now I don't adhere to the whole. Uh, I mean you know, there is. Uh, an effect from humans on climate change, but climate's always going to change anyway. Let's just not make it happen quicker than it should, right? Um, so these things happen. Uh, it, it's a part of the uh, evolution of the Earth. So Antarctica was not always where it is now. There was an article from National Geographic a, a few years back and when where it was saying uh, that Australia is moving so fast that and drifting so fast that GPS can't keep up with it. That you know they were having people were having issues with um, keeping the the GPS in their their phones and in their cars on track because the island is moving and shifting. So this this is a legitimate thing. So uh, are these structures down in Antarctica uh, human? Well, if they are, that is being kept from us. I mean, there is a reason why uh, back in the 1930s that uh, the Nazis were extremely interested in Antarctica. And here are, here's your uh, Nazi penguin army. So I had to show, I had to share this photo. I get a kick out of it. I've always had a thing with penguins, but, uh, but there you go. There's your penguin Nazi army. Uh, but but yeah, in the 1930s, the, the Nazis went down there looking for something. What were they looking for? And this is something that's been fascinating me lately uh, with the research in Antarctica. And I talk about it a little bit in my book, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, because um, there are connections between uh, Alaska and Antarctica. They, they've shared the same properties many times because the poles will shift. So at times... You know, Alaska's been the South Pole, just like, you know, Antarctica's been the North Pole. So they've shared those properties uh, at times. And so uh, with Antarctica, if, I mean, it's kind of, we, we call Alaska the final or the last frontier. 
the final frontier is Star Trek, but you know, we call it the last frontier. Really, it's Antarctica, though. There, there's so much we don't know about uh, that area of the Earth, and people really want to know what's going on down there. Now, what I think, what I think the Nazis and what I believe the Nazis were looking for were remnants of those ancient cultures. Think about um, the types of artifacts that they were trying to obtain. They were trying to obtain every uh, piece of powerful equipment, artifact, artwork, whatever, from ancient times because they believed that the, the more of those types of uh, artifacts that they had, the more powerful that they would become, that they could harness that ancient knowledge and become the you know super race, that sort of thing. Well, what's down there in Antarctica that they really wanted? I mean, strategically... It's at the bottom of the planet. Um, it's it's nobody's going down there militarily to do anything. You know, there's there's no trade. There's nothing down there, except this ice sheet. So what in the world did they want? So there's the idea of UFOs and things like that down there. Sure, uh, I'm I'm into that. I mentioned Albert K. Bender earlier. He believed that uh, the the ETs are harvesting resources down there in Antarctica. Admiral Byrd. Uh, is said to have had interactions with extraterrestrials down there as well and UFOs. Fine. But what I think the Nazis were down there looking for was some of that ancient technology and those ancient artifacts. Um, if, if what's down there is what I believe is down there, we're talking connections to ancient Egypt. We're talking about connections to Atlantis. So we're talking about those people that would have like built the pyramids. We're talking about possible Stargate technology, you know, because Star we've we've talked about it several times this class. Stargate is all over the uh, e Egyptian architecture, but also uh, the idea we have no idea how they built those structures, you know, the pyramids, the uh, uh, you know, things like the Trilithon and, you know, just it, it's amazing how they built these massive, massive structures. Well, if that civilization down there in Antarctica is just as old or older, you may be able to actually find the source of that technology down there. We could be talking about anti-gravity technology. Well, what government in the world wouldn't want that? So knowing what we know, going back to the 1930s, with what the Nazis were trying to do and what they were trying to uncover, and you, you see all these different Nazi experiments where you know, they were, of course, we know about the rocketry, but you look into things like the Nazi bell, which was that their own version of a flying saucer with anti-gravity propulsion? Uh, was it a time travel device? So were they trying to find the technology down there in Antarctica? Is it still there today? So when we start getting these uh, you know, reports from the government of, yeah, we're just doing scientific research down there. Uh, we want to know about, you know, more about, you know, plant and animal life millions of years ago. Fine, yes, they are researching that, but there is a, there is a deeper, deeper interest in Antarctica than plant and animal life from you know, 30 million years ago or whatever. It's much, much deeper than that. So let me get to some of your questions here. I did not cover everything I wanted to tonight. I, I didn't even think I had enough <laughs> for this evening uh, because of the way the day went. Uh, and we are already at our hour mark. How crazy is that? Um... So when Sarah's asking, if that sort of knowledge exists, why do we forget it and not build upon it? Easy. Easy. Those cataclysms that have happened. Our Earth has undergone um, a tremendous amount of disasters. So, uh, you know, every culture has the flood myth. When that flood happened, whatever it was that occurred, whether you believe it was solar flares, uh, whether you believe it was a, you know, a comet impact, whatever it was that caused that flood and other things throughout our physical history have happened to this planet, massive volcanic eruptions that, you know, created a, you know, a frost across the planet for 
for years and years and years. There are cataclysms that, that happen across this plane. In fact, uh, in the Alaska Triangle, when I talk about the polar flips, so about 42,000 years ago, there was a polar flip that lasted for uh, about 400 years. And during that time, when that flip happens, you know, it's not like instantaneous like that. It's quick because the uh, when it finally is like, okay, we're going to do it. Because uh, right now, the, the like the North Pole is over the last 150 years, it's moved about 600 miles. It's moving to the northwest, uh, about 25 miles a year. Uh, when it finally does happen, it kind of like treks down the planet rather quickly, you know, over a little bit of time, and then it's finally flipped. But when that happens, it puts the entire, uh, you know, uh, magnetic protection of the Earth into a complete frenzy because everything is just suddenly opposite. It's, it's basically chaos on Earth, and they've measured that the, uh, the magnetic protection of the Earth could have gotten as low as 6%. Now, we're talking 42,000 years ago. Humans were around at that time. So what happened to them? What were they, what were they doing? You know, if, if you have this kind of heat and radiation, things like this going on around the planet, well, there's an interesting phenomenon that happened that we've been discovering about 40,000 years ago. We see all of this cave art and cave drawings and things like that at that time. So it, it seems very likely that because all of a sudden you have this uh, extreme, extreme heat during the day, they're probably seeing, we talk about, yeah, go up north, see the Aurora Borealis. Everywhere on earth, you're probably seeing Aurora Borealis every, you know, freaking night. Um, you know, they're, they're hiding in their caves. The gods are going nuts. The, the gods are going crazy, that sort of thing. So they're hiding within the caves or hiding within the earth. There, there you go, uh, Victoria, hollow earth. Um, so when that sort of thing happened, all the technology that they had uh, outside, whether it was that, whether it was uh, the flood years and years ago, uh, these sorts of things, these cataclysms, there are... People, the people that die off are the ones that don't know how to survive in these type of situations. So these are going to be uh, like, we'll just take it right now. If that was to happen right now, massive, massive cataclysm. You know, your, your bankers, um, your, your highly... We'll just say like extreme white collar office positions uh, in, in guys that, you know, don't ever decide, hey, maybe I should learn how to, I don't know, camp or, or you know, learn a few, you know, how to build a fire sort of things. Um, those guys don't know how to survive. Um, food all of a sudden be, becomes scarce. We, we don't, uh, you know, there's no grocery stores anymore. There's no food. I don't know how to hunt. I don't know how to survive. I die. Everything that I knew about constructing a building, programming a computer, how to make a cell phone, all that disappears because those people don't know how to survive. It's the people that, you know, know how to uh, survive off the land. Those people are going to survive, but they didn't have those positions for the high extreme technology. So... But they, but they knew it happened. They knew it existed. They had once had those, uh, they had once had that technology. So what ends up happening is, okay, we're survi we're in survival mode now. We're just living off the land. But I'm gonna tell the stories to my children, my grandchildren about this is the way things used to be. We used to have these magnificent cars and vehicles and flying machines and ways to talk, uh, you know, uh, you know, to other parts of the world, um, you know, through a little device in my hand. And so those stories end up becoming legend and lore passed down over time, even though the technology no longer exists because the, the world suddenly went into chaos and there's no way to actually produce it anymore. So that's what ends up happening. Not to say that there were cell phones and computers like that, you know, thousands or even millions of years ago, but they had other types of technology at their disposal. So whatever in the world it was that they knew how to lift those large, massive blocks into position that we cannot do today, that technology, whatever it was, got lost. Those people that knew how to do that died off. 
and the ones that survived didn't know how to perform that particular task. You know, but they knew the stories, and so the, this, some of the stories got passed down, and they became like you know, stories of the gods and things like that. And you know, some people say, well, it was extraterrestrials that came down and talked. Well, you know, maybe. Or were those extraterrestrials another form of us? I don't know. So we've been talking for a while now. We're over our time. Uh, we could go on with this for a while. But the point is, I, bringing that up with, uh, with government conspiracy theories is I believe that the government knows some of this information and are not sharing it with us. They're keeping it close to the vest. Um, there are certain things that they don't want the public knowing. Um, it's, uh, there's a certain narrative that's being told. And to divulge some of that information would go against the narrative. And so they're going to keep it as close to the vest as long as they can. Eventually, we will find out and we will know some about it. It might not be in our lifetime. It might be in our children's and our grandchildren's as some of those old stalwarts start to die off. Um, you know, I, I think the, the newcomers will start to share some of that information with us, at least crossing my fingers. Hope they do. All right. That will do it for this evening, everybody. Really absolutely appreciate uh, all the questions. And you guys had a lot of questions coming into uh, this class. And that took a good 20 minutes at the top of the show, which was fine. I mean, I love that because it's, uh, you know, this is this is your class. So whatever you guys, you know, want to know if you have questions, I want to try to get to as many of those uh, as possible. So, uh, but stick with us next week on Edge of the Rabbit Hole our Tuesday night show, uh, we have Alexandra Holzer uh, joining us. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So tune in for that, and then uh, we'll get into another uh, amazing esoteric topic next week here on Connecting the Universe. You have a great night, everybody. Take care.